Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and I'm joined today by Light Reading Senior Editor covering SD-WAN and making people at conferences say smart things, Kelsey Zeiser. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Phil. So uh, we have a guest today. It's not just me uh, making things up. Um, on the hot seat today, we have the uh, founder of, uh, Clear, of Cloud Switch, which was sold to Verizon. And then for the last nearly six years, she was the, she's been the co-founder and CEO of Clear Sky Data. Welcome, Ellen Rubin. Hi there. Nice to be with you guys. Thanks for being on. We do appreciate it. And we have so many questions about your uh, current company and maybe even uh, your past as well. Um, one of the first things I I can't get through without asking is um, your company has obliterated the data 321 rule from what I've been reading. Um, so the, the belief is that you're supposed to have three copies of each piece of data on two different media and then one offsite. That's the, like the proper way to back up data. So what's, what's wrong with that approach or what's, um, uh, why is that approach outdated, I guess? Right. It's more that it's outdated. You know, people have done things in uh, enterprise infrastructure for a long time, and there are usually good reasons. You know, like whenever you see a rule, there's usually a reason that it was needed kind of feeling. But mm -hmm. sometimes the, you know, the world moves on and things that used to be needed really should go away. And uh, uh, a lot of the issues that you see, and that, that's a really great example of it, is this idea of having, you know, kind of stacks of infrastructure that are physically based in a particular location, you know, most likely in a, some sort of a data center. And the idea that, you know, you've got your you know, primary stuff, which is your really key, urgent, you know, business data that you're going to, you know, do stuff with. And that, you know, that is, uh, you know, has to be high performance and it has to be highly available. But when you come to protection, you usually want to have at least a copy of the data um, often on site, you know, nearby. But then that's not good because if something goes wrong in that same physical location, you want it off site as well. And frankly, right. people are doing all sorts of different things today, you know, that are cloud enabled and multi-cloud and physically distributed that in some ways raise questions about why that traditional model is the right one to do. And in particular, as you can see more and more risks to data protection around both, you know, availability of the data, you know, surprises with, you know, issues with big storms or big fires mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, earthquakes and things, but also, um, uh, attacks on the data, right? All sorts of ransomware and, you know, uh, malicious uh, attacks and stuff. So there's a lot of concern and fear and desire to have data that if you needed to recover quickly, you could recover very, very fast and would be, you know, kind of um, as current as possible, right? To, to lose nothing. So um, I think, you know, although there were good reasons to do it the way uh, people have done it, What's happening now is this much more distributed world in which applications are all over the place and um, the data is needed in physical locations, in multiple cloud computing locations, in edge computing locations, you know, buildings, cell towers, everything. And in that world, the, that, that idea of having your copies spread around like that is both incredibly complicated and expensive, right? Really yeah. hard and expensive. So at uh, Clear Sky Data, we, we really tried to take a very different approach, which um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more architecturally. But sort of to answer your more specific question, the idea is that the data protection should be built automatically into the storage itself. 
and should kind of be enabled and provided as part of an overall service that covers the entire life cycle of the data. And that, that way, the customer doesn't have to deal with those issues and does not have these copies of the data that they're paying for all over the place. And there's just a more, there's, there's a much more efficient way to do it. And certainly leveraging the cloud is part of it. But also a lot of it has to do with how you make the data accessible and easily recoverable. And we've done some very interesting and clever things in terms of our software to, to do that. Excellent. Yeah, I, I do think that what you brought up about edge computing and and um, sort of how people need access to information in a much different way than they did uh, a few years ago, it just stands to reason that the way that they would store and then back up that data would also change along with it. I've just had a hard time, I guess, conceptually picturing what that looks like in the average enterprise. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, to ask the enterprise to do it themselves is not, um, you know, doing them any favors. You know, a lot of, um, you know, personal history and experience I've had, you know, in, in my last couple of companies, but I think it's just kind of taking, you know, a look at where, where, where CIOs and heads of IT are, are dealing with is, you know, there's just an explosion of, locations, right? And, and um, application, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, options for where you want to run your applications, while at the same time, everybody is trying to consolidate and get out of infrastructure. So it's almost you have these like the war yeah. of the two opposing forces, you know, like, which is going to win, <laughs> you know, like, all right, squeeze it all down, get out of it, don't be in charge of it, don't run it. But wait, no, can't you can never not protect your data, right? I mean, that's like right. terrifying. So, um, so those are some things that are going on, you know, for, a, you know, every company that, I, that we deal with, you know, our customers are all medium to large enterprises. They're in healthcare and financial services and law firms and media services. And, you know, it's very, very mm -hmm. traditional companies. And this is the battle that they're waging right now in which IT is sort of being asked to be leaders in how should things be designed and architected for an edge to cloud type of a world. And that's hard because it's new. And then also, how do you reduce cost and you know get out of managing infrastructure and owning infrastructure and being in all these data center locations, which nobody wants to do anymore, but without giving up the things that make things enterprise class, right? Highly available, compliant. What about GDPR? What about you know availability of your data at all times? Like nobody's going to compromise on that. And Ellen, you mentioned that a lot of your customers are medium to large size. Do you approach them differently depending on the size of the company or the vertical? Um, I also notice on your website, a lot of customers are, um, you know, there are some hospitals, religious organizations, healthcare. Uh, I saw the Special Olympics there. How do you um, approach your customers differently um, in talking about managed service and, and why that's the method that they should choose? Um, I think even though industry differences apply and certain companies are more comfortable with the cloud than others, so some of it is how cloud forward are you, the truth is that if you really distill it down, sometimes the big difference for our customers is how many people do they have in the IT organization mm -hmm. to run and manage their environments. And what you can imagine is that the kind of smaller you are and the smaller shop that you are, the more um, challenge it is for, you know, maybe a couple of guys to be handling what could be, you know, could be hundreds of terabytes of storage, could mm -hmm. be multiple locations still, but yet it's this very lean type of an organization. You know, there's a desire for IT to be really 
business unit enabling and agile and all of that, but yet not wanting to spend a lot of money on CapEx, you know, and, and capital uh, um, investments anymore. So like that environment, the conversation that you want to have from, you know, a company like, like uh, ClearSky is we can really take the whole data management issue off your plate. Okay. Don't focus on that. Let us take care of that. But we promise you it will be exactly the way you would want to run it yourselves and maybe even a little better. You know, maybe maybe we have some tricks up our sleeves, you know, that we can show you improve because, you know, these guys are show me Missouri kind of guys. In a larger enterprise, you know, I think your, your question is kind of getting a little to the heart of what happens in, you know, in, 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 a, in a bigger organization. Mm -hmm. And there there's going to be a little more desire to test the waters. I, I've got one business unit. I've got one application. I've got some aspects of my data protection, but not everything with my data that I, I'm comfortable giving you. I think, you know, people are more concerned and also there are more people there to already run it. They've got, you know, in many companies we're dealing with, they might have a dozen storage and data management vendors already in place mm -hmm. and Whoa. dozens of copies of their data all over the place. It, it can get pretty complicated. Okay. So, so it sounds like it's really key to take that complexity out um, for those companies, right? Totally. I mean, really, in the end, it's not anybody's great desire to get up in the morning and rack and stack gear and <laughs> wire it all together and then go, oh, my God, what if we've been hacked? And, you know, like, right. these are not this is nobody's fun job, but it, you can't screw it up. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where mm -hmm. the reward is nobody says anything. Right? <laughs> like happiness yeah. is nobody says a word to you. Right? They want to go right. right back to not thinking about it all the time. Exactly. <laughs> We're like, give it to us. We love it. We're passionate about it. What's the, the um, and I don't know how you can distill this down, but what's the technical advantage that Clear Sky Data has over being able to just, um, do cloud backup to multiple clouds or something like that. So the thing that you know, trying to keep it short and you know, not not go too far, but happy to you know go deeper if, if there's interest. But um, we like to sort of compare ourselves to Akamai because if you're familiar with Akamai and the content distribution network kind of model, the idea is that it's being run as a service and the goal is to address latency challenges and to always have the data accessible at very low latency and very high performance at the edge. And we are doing, we're in a different business, right? We're in enterprise data storage, but we are applying some of the ideas and sort of, you know, vision of that to this very, you know, traditional storage and data protection world. And what we've built is actually a network that we run ourselves. It doesn't go over the internet. We're running um, private lines with a lot of the carriers and over um, data center providers like our partner Equinix. And we are delivering the service at metro locations to customers that are within a, a distance of our, our metro sites. And mm, okay. a little bit of the technology, just very briefly, which is patented and you know, there's a lot, a lot of years behind it, is... Um, caching technology that makes sure that the data that needs to be very, very high performance and, you know, kept close to the edge is always there. And then stuff that might be needed is kept nearby in the metro area, but we're managing that in real time. Interesting. Okay. We need to get into more of that, but before we do, let's quickly go to break. We'll be right back on the light reading podcast. <music> We are back, and 
the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey uh, with Kelsey Zeiser, and our guest today is Ellen Rubin. Hi, Ellen. Hi there. So you have, um, we were just discussing what clear sky data does to sort of set itself apart, how it makes everything easier on enterprises for the entire data management lifecycle. Um, we also talked about a little bit about what type of businesses you sell to, and it sounds like they're anyone who has data. Am I oversimplifying? <laughs> well, let's just say that if they're a startup that has never had any infrastructure up until now, then they're not our customer. How about that? Okay. We'll, we'll rule them out. <laughs> so it's more traditional businesses That's with right. traditional data needs. Um, you came from the uh, the cloud world. I, I hate, I, boy, this is, this is where we <laughs> fall apart with my, I, I just hate the words that journalists have to use to describe things, but the, you, you had, you founded a cloud software startup that Verizon bought, I think in 2011. That's right. And became part of the Terramark division. And in that business, what did you learn about the telco outlook on the cloud or sort of how they approach the cloud? So it's funny because I was listening to you guys. You had another thing about telcos and the edge and all of that and, you know, what's going on with 5G and everything. And I was just laughing a little bit because, you know, there's the, the more things change, right? So um, yeah. what I had a chance to do in my last company was to see um, two companies, Terramark and, and Verizon, that were really, really serious about cloud computing and wanting to be major players in it and to address enterprise um, desires and needs for not Amazon. You know, which at the time was yeah. kind of the, the, the 800 pound gorilla and really the only option. And um, I think that some of the things that were challenges were both the ability to um, deploy technology in a truly agile way, like really, mm-hmm. like to just roll it out with like hundreds of developers in the way that the hyperscalers can do, but also the ability to open up things that had been black boxes and to make them um, accessible to developers and interoperable. And just concepts of opening things through APIs and making, allowing programming to take place at the network layer, you know, all the way to the edge. Like those were things that were new and they were hard. And um, I kind of watched some of the, you know, like the, the forces of change trying to um, juggle with the existence of, you know, billions and billions of dollars of existing today revenue. And that's hard. Right. And I can imagine yeah. that for, you know, some of the, the carriers today, that's equally going to be a challenge at the edge. But what is true is that there is a role for these companies. Right. I mean, you know, certainly in our little piece of the, the world that we're in, what we can see is that the um, you know, connectivity and the ability to run um, you know, different types of um, uh, connections between multiple clouds across you know, um, long distances to connect in the metro areas and use metro um, Ethernet and you know, being able to do things that are more innovative. It, there's a huge demand for that right now. And so you, know, you kind of want to see the, the carriers as um, enabling partners, even if they're not going to be able to provide the kind of hyperscale environments of you know, the cloud or computing or, or storage or things like that, that just isn't where they naturally live, but they're a key piece of the puzzle. So anyway, so it was, it was exciting to be at a, you know, kind of a, a moment in time uh, back then. And I have a feeling we'll see some similar things going on at the edge now. And that's what's changing so fast is the, you know, this, they are rushing to figure out what their role is in the edge of the network and doing so at a time when the, the bandwidth connections are about to get a lot, um, have a lot more volume and in, in, not just in bandwidth itself, but also in the number of devices with 5g networks. Um, how does the, 
how does Clear Sky um, see its path in this world of edge computing? Because I know one of the recent announcements your company made was about um, install was about being a, a storage management provider at the at the base of a cellular station, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. In uh, in in Foxborough here in Boston, uh, so near okay. uh, near Gillette Stadium. So, yeah, we um, you know, that's it's kind of um, the early days of edge computing, and what we have found by uh, working with partners like Packet. Um, that provides uh, kind of an on-demand um, computing cloud, as well as mm-hmm. um, larger, you know, tr- more traditional players like SBA uh, Communications providing, you know, cell tower uh, accessibility for a, you know, a micro data center at the edge, and many other companies that are also doing this much more um, small footprint, many locations, you know, being close to where some of the new types of data will be coming from, and also, you know, being needing data to be accessible to them is. Everybody's really thinking about networking and compute and maybe even real estate, and nobody yeah. is thinking about data management. Hmm. We, huh. you know, we kind of scratch our heads a little bit. It's like, well, this moment, the data sizes are not petabyte sizes, and certainly you don't want to have to put petabytes at the edge. But you and all of the rest of us who are in this world know that inevitably the data that's coming off of millions of sensors is going to get archived and protected somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Some amount of additional computation that didn't take place at the edge will get done over a much broader set of data. I mean, my whole life has been spent watching people try to do simple computation on very, very large data sets, you know? So you know that that is going to only get bigger now. So I think there's a lot of... um, we just think that there's a whole kind of a, a, a greenfield opportunity to kind of claim that that space, and it's the whole life cycle of the data, you know, which we talked about in the, the first uh, segment of very, very, very high performance primary storage, but with all of the backup and the disaster recovery, as well as all of the security encryption, you know, kind of isolation of data, all built in, and that that needs to now extend past the corporate data center to all these new edge locations, and so we're we're trying to. Make sure we're in the mix with some of these companies, you know, be part of the ecosystem and, and hopefully help speed that industry along, which which is very exciting. So what are some specific use cases for your customers uh, where edge computing fits in um, for data backup? I know I, t- I spoke with Bill Walker a few weeks ago and he was talking about how security footage might be an example Um where you want to would want to back up data at the edge. Uh, what are some of those use cases that you're seeing? Well, so uh, I want to talk about the use cases in a sec, but I think that one of the things that's tricky, of course, is what you really don't want are large footprints of data at the edge, right? You want mm-hmm. little small ones and you want a lot of them and you want them to kind of be made accessible both in terms of the collection of that data and bringing it over into the cloud, but also if you needed it back you want it back. So it's, you know, kind of a, you know, bi-directional set of challenges. And, you know, as you know, pulling data back from the cloud is no fun, right? It's high cost, <laughs> there are egress charges, there are late, there's latency issues and stuff. So th- these are all concerns that, you know, that ClearSky um, tackles. But the use cases that we're seeing so far um, tend to have to do with um, either things like high-performance computing data, where there are companies that are very interested in being able to do um, sort of the initial um, very, very high performance um, uh, computation that needs to take place in, um, uh, you know, you could have a set of physical machines, you could have um, data that is healthcare related data that is tied to, um, 
you know, kind of different types of sensors where a lot of the um, initial computation wants to be at the edge and it needs enough compute to do that uh, very, very uh, quickly and at low latency. But that the longer tail um, and ability to kind of look at that data for trends and patterns, as well as making it accessible to other mm-hmm. locations, needs to leverage the cloud. Okay. And so to me, that's like a great example of something that's a nearer term thing. Certainly that whole issue about video data and what you want to do with it. And, you know, there's the part where you want to scan it right there, just facial recognition, something bad, right? You know, somebody might be mm-hmm. in the room right now or in the, you know, in the stadium or whatever, versus we want to go back in time and look at something that might have happened a while ago. We want to compare across different data sets. So those are, I think those are very real examples. And, uh, you know, once again, like the idea that you would want to be putting petabytes of data all over different edges and different clouds is not a good idea and is cost prohibitive. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, not, I think we think a different model is definitely needed. Are your, is your business in effect a service provider? Because you're talking about having networked, you know, different pools of storage and computation, and you've got software that sort of helps your um, customers figure out what's going where. In a, in a, without providing the bandwidth yourself, you're essentially a service provider, right? Well, we are definitely a managed service provider because our service is an SLA-based, 24 by 7, fully managed service. And we mm-hmm. do actually have the storage functionality that you would get from like an EMC array and a Commvault software, you know, backup product and a Zerto mm-hmm. disaster recovery. Like we have all of that built-in software that is part of the service that we run for our customers. Um, and you're right that the network lines, you know, we're, we're leveraging um, a lot of um, uh, Gigi Metro uh, fiber from uh, Comcast, Crown Castle, a number of regional players, you know, kind of companies that are very accessible in the different major metro areas. Um, so we are a consumer of those things, but we bundle it all together and present this as one whole solution to the customer per gig per month. So they don't have to, you know, like, okay. like imagine them having to start to negotiate with all these carriers and figure out how to hook it up. We just felt like that's not a that's not a solution, right? A solution is the customer right. doesn't have to care and don't don't touch the gear and don't touch anything physical. We take that on. Interesting. Yeah. Now, now, what is the relationship with your company at uh, Equinix or Equinix, depending on what part of the country you're from? <laughs> I say I say Equinix. Me too. <laughs> um, the they're you know they're the one of the largest, you know, data center um, providers of, you know, managed services, co-location services. Are you the sort of storage or data lifecycle add-on to what they provide their customers? Yeah, they are co-location and interconnect, and they have this really great um, uh, sort of platform that is global that allows people to um, connect to multiple clouds and to have their um, uh, compute and storage and stuff sitting in Equinix locations. And, you know, they do traditional co-location, but they also have a lot of this access to the cloud that's very powerful. But what they don't do is they don't provide the managed services on top of that, right? Like they're kind of d- down at a, you know, kind of the lower level of, right, we just make yeah. this, um, you know, it's, it's a real estate, uh, you know, REIT kind of a model. And they also are yeah. providing a lot of the interconnect. And of course, they're massively carrier neutral, right? So their data centers can have hundreds of you know, different players that are all wired in. But mm-hmm. what they don't do is they don't say, we're going to run your applications for you. We're going to provide storage to you. We're going to build out your compute and run your VMware. Like that, that is just not th- their business. And so we are, we announced a partnership with them at the end of last year and they are really um, enabling us to uh, 
broaden the number of metro locations that we're in um, and grow from what we had been initially, which was about four locations, to 12. And so that really um, expands us across certainly all the key metros in the United States and then starting to think about some international locations with them as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just it's a, I, I want to call it like a like being able to kind of like pour gasoline onto things to, to, to make it, you know, to let, to let us go faster. And uh, you guys know, because this is your business, that like the value of a network type of an architecture is to have more and more access points. So to us being right. as multi-site and then now starting to be more multinational is really important to our growth. So it's both a capabilities partnership and also a, you know, to sort of get you into more places, but it's also you know, you're actually using their facilities and using their um, exactly. uh, connections for, for, for the business. Yeah, we have okay. already joined customers um, in some of our first locations. You know, we've just started to go live with them this year. And um, it's a combination of the Clear Sky service being in at the Equinix, you know, data centers, which is great and taking advantage of, of their platform, but also being a draw for enterprise customers who may want to come into the Equinix world as well, because mm-hmm. they can kind of see now the value of being on that platform. So I think it's it's good for everybody. Um, and Ellen, switching gears just a little bit, um, Light Reading also has a women in comms section where we focus on challenges and opportunities that women in the telecom and uh, tech space face. So I noticed that the Clear Sky Data leadership team seems to be pretty diverse as far as split between men and women. Um, how? What's your advice to other companies in being deliberate about building a diverse leadership team? And also, how do you lead a diverse team? So you can imagine it's something I feel strongly about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, 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 you sound like you are aware of some of the challenges. So mm-hmm. um, one of the, the things that's always hard is, you know, getting enough women into both the hardcore technical roles as well as getting women into leadership roles. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that the more women are in leadership roles, the more appealing those companies will be for recruiting. And for mm-hmm. attracting people to want to join and be part of the team. And I think the stronger the whole support network will be of mentorship and promotion and opportunities and stuff like that. So, you know, that is something I care a lot about. And I, I wish I had a silver bullet on any of this stuff. I would never pretend to do it. I, I do a lot of, um, you know, just local like mentoring, advising, trying to be part of um, local organizations, um, the New England Venture Capital Association, some local um, VCs, like new startup VCs that are, mm-hmm. are here to try to change the conversation a little bit. You know, it's not about why are the numbers so lousy, but what can we do about it more practically? Right. And I don't have a great answer except to say, show up and be loud and speak up and be public and, you know, also encourage. Sometimes I find like in a group setting that even within my own team, like you want to make sure that the women managers and leaders know that they should be speaking up. They should Mm -hmm. be visible and trying to create an environment where that's um, welcomed. Okay. So making sure every voice is heard. As, as much as possible. And, you know, I, what, what can I say? And, uh, you know, encouraging um, the next generation of the younger women, that's that's really a key thing. It's just great to me to hear someone um, reassure Kelsey to show up and be like, <laughs> 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 it, 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 Louder, it's too louder. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Light Reading Podcast. Our podcast is mixed and edited by Tian Fu in New York. You can reach us by emailing editors at lightreading.com. And please also follow us on Twitter at light underscore reading. If you're interested in learning more about the articles and research discussed in the show, visit lightreading.com and search podcasts. This podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your coworkers, friends, cashiers, neighbors, pets. Uh, um, data center co-location facility managers. Yes. Tell them all about us. We'll be back real soon with another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.